Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi. Siri. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams. And I'm Sharonik Boshu. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Brilliant. In this episode, I, Sharonik, talk with Kim about the death of the author. Okay, so Kim, what the heck is the death of the author? The death of the author is the title of an essay Written by Roland Bart. Can I just stop you right there? Is that the way we pronounce his name? Because I always get confused. Well, I sometimes get confused. Let us try in order pronouncing all of the possibilities. <laughs> okay. So at the death of the author by Roland Bart. Bart. Barth. I mean, so my, my, yeah, my French pronunciation is atrocious. We can just move ahead with the podcast, please. No, I like this plan. Oh, I thought it was like Ro- Roland. Or, Roland. Isn't it? Roland Barth. 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 Oh, God. Barth. I, hope, Barth. I really hope people who speak French aren't listening to this. Uh, anyway, yes. Roland So this was Barth. listened to essay written by someone. <laughs> An essay written by someone with the initials R.B. Bartzes. Bartzes, yes. Roland Bartzes. Please go on. Okay, so the death of the author is this idea by our friend Roland Bart, however we want to say it. Indeed. That the intention of the author matters not. Uh huh. The author, very simply, as his title says, is dead. Right. We don't need the author anymore. We don't need. We don't need the author. criticism to try to discover the intentions of the author and thereby explain the work itself. It's against the idea of intentionality. Right. That authorial intention doesn't exist. And what does he substitute instead? The reader. So I will read you the famous last line of the text. Okay. The birth of the reader must be at the cost of the death of the author. Oh, God, that sounds edible in a way. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. In fact, the, the father is, a, the author is a father figure. The author is thought to nourish the book, 
which is to say that he exists before it, thinks, suffers, lives for it, in the same relation of antecedents to his work as a father is to his child. That is creepy, but also interesting because uh, it's sort of like a like a deistic conception of God, a God who re- recedes from creation after creating it. Yeah, but this is much more Nietzschean. It's like, okay, God is dead because there's there is a bit of violence to it. So it's not just that the author has made the thing and now we should let the author recede from view. But in fact, uh-huh. Bart wants to argue that in order to privilege the reader, you have to kill off the author. You have to imagine the text is born with the reading rather than the writing. How do you think we can use this idea? Like, I mean, I I mean this question like semi-seriously because I can't remember the last time that I've used Bath in my own work to return to the question, how can we use it? There's kind of, I think... Two ways of answering that question. And one is just to say that we already are using BART without thinking about it. Like this idea has crept into our ordinary um, engagement with texts. Mm. And we don't even think about it anymore. Mm. The way that we are willing to privilege our own interpretations of the text over any sort of imagined authorial intention. Right. Which I think is really common. Like, in in, in order to do any sort of really good close reading, in a way, uh-huh. what you're looking for when you look at all those details is you're not looking for an omniscient author who is incredibly good at putting all the details in. You're not looking for right, the best right. realist, but you're looking for the ways in which language acts through the author the author right. is not aware of. How would you make... The distinction between, say, chasing authorial intentionality in the text and, like, the cult of the author. And mm. what I'm saying is, like, in, in, in some cases, like, the biographical details of the author are quite substantially important in the way that we read the texts. Yeah. And we could always say that those are also part of the reading and not, it doesn't matter who the author is. But Well, okay, so I, I don't know. Let's hold the, like, cult of the author on the side because I actually find that really fun. It's, like... One of the reasons I enjoy writing about Gertrude Stein, but she was quite a person, <laughs> quite a life man, <laughs> quite a life, um, quite a life. And uh, but the the like the other thing that I think is worth noting that might sort of help answer this question in a roundabout way, and it like it gets back to your how do I use this question uh-huh. um, is maybe even how do you use it in a way that is not about reading literature in the way that is not our ordinary student life, Um, which is the idea of doubting individual intentionality Uh in general, the idea that language and culture and the world acts through us much more than we act through it. Right. That all of the words that are coming out of my mouth right now are not so much words that originated in some sort of romantic interiority of my sort of 
creative essence, but are in fact words that came into my head from outside it, that like mm -hmm. language is speaking through me, that I got this idea from Bart and I got the language to articulate it from Bart. And I also got it from my, you know, I don't know, my MA professor, Ellen Rooney, and like a bunch of other people and stuff I read online and like all, like there's not, there's like less of what you think is you in your head and more of yeah. what you think is like consciousness is made up of the world yeah. around you as much as it is made up of you and the inside of your head. Yeah. I mean, like, I think you use the word, <clears throat> the word world. Uh, yeah. And which is a, you know, it's a great way to my next question. Uh, what I was going to say is like the moment we deprioritize interiority and intentionality and try to sort of think of the world as this sort of very, very intricately enmeshed mm. manner. Like we are all, everything is socialized to a degree that we couldn't have imagined before something like that. Yeah. I think there will come, or there comes a point where it becomes a little difficult or let's say challenging to sort of define interpersonal relationships Mm -hmm. And they all sort of begin with two really opaque points of interiority. It's, it's me and you, me mm -hmm. with capital M and you with capital U. So do you see like a bridge here somewhere? Yeah, I do. But actually, that's not what I, I was thinking. So when you started talking about this, like, amazing intermeshed network of, of the, like, society is that much more socialized than mm -hmm. we imagined. I thought the sort of image of the networked world... So you were thinking about individual subjectivities and like interpersonal relations. And I was thinking about the sort of individual versus society, the way that we imagine ourselves um, acting as individuals in terms of like the social contract and individual mm. agents. Mm. And maybe if we didn't think of ourselves so much as individuals to begin with, yeah. we wouldn't be so worried about maximizing our individual interests. Yeah. I mean, it sort of totally reorients the idea of responsibility. Yeah. Uh, which is definitely something that we need in the world. Yeah. And I, I think like the responsibility of the reader is actually mm. a really important thing to think about now in the world that we live in. Like, uh -huh. If we can't expect responsibility from the writers of our public discourse, right? if we can't expect responsibility from our political figures, then we can perhaps try to shift responsibility onto the readers or by necessity, the responsibility has been shifted onto the readers, right? Wait, so you're like in this scenario, uh, the readers are the public and the author is the uh, person spouting discourse. Yes. Or like not spouting discourse, it's a terrible phrase, but like <laughs> saying things. Can you imagine what the discourse fountain looks like? That's <laughs> all the discourse. I, I will have nightmares tonight about that. How about I read you the best line of the text as the ending? Uh, and so maybe this is, in fact, the answer to how the death of the author will save the world. In precisely this way, literature, it would be better from now on to say writing. 
by refusing to assign a secret, an ultimate meaning to the text and to the world as text, liberates what may be called an anti-theological activity, an activity that is truly revolutionary, since to refuse to fix meaning is, in the end, to refuse God and his hypostases, reason, science, law. Oh, dear God. <laughs> and we'll end on that note. All right. Thank you so much for listening to High Theory. <laughs> Farewell, enlightenment. Farewell, listeners. <laughs> Farewell, enlightenment. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonic Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams edits our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.